All right, I hope you get settled in. Go ahead and take your Bible out and uh, your outline. We gave you a challenge a few weeks ago about making sure you filled out your outline. Today's going to be a great challenge because there's more blanks than ever before, okay? So you're going to really enjoy that. But before we get started with what we're going to do, I just want to thank Nathan for saying that this is a place where it's okay to make mistakes, right? And I, I know Tanya really appreciated that. That was... Really beautiful. And, and I, I do want to just to celebrate another mistake. Uh, Nathan, our newest member, is not Chase Perry. He's Chance Perry. <laughs> so good thing he wasn't here today, right? Man, let's just celebrate mistakes, guys. Guys, um, we um, started a series last week about close relationships, and uh, we looked at Naomi and Ruth, and we saw these five characteristics that show those up on the board of, of close friendship. And this week, I want to start off with an interview, and I, I thought of a, a friendship I knew, really knew was close, and it was really cool how this happened. Uh, I called Kristen and um, uh, Kelly on Wednesday, and when I called both of them individually, they both told me they'd gone to lunch on Monday. And the first thing they had said to each other is, Buddy was talking about our friendship on Sunday. So God set this up where you couldn't turn me down. I want to say that was rare for us to go to lunch together. It's not like a normal thing that we do every week. So um, we also took that opportunity to, um, when we are together, to share that like our friendship is special to each other. And um, I just think it's important to tell your friends that you love them and care about them. Amen. Good deal. Well, tell us how long you've been friends. How did you become friends? Okay. Kristen and I have been friends for 24 years, and it started the first, well, our freshman year at Freed Hardman University, first week of school. We were trying to decide the other day when it was, but it was sometime the first week of school, and there was a group of us that were really close right off. We were all like roommates, like my roommate and Kristen and her roommate, and there was about six of us, and we hung out, and I learned pretty early on that Kristen was going to be my person, the one that when I had hard talks or had hard things that nobody else wanted to do or to go with me, like on long drives where nobody else wanted to go, Kristen was always willing to do that, and I called her, I mean, freshman year, I told her, you are my faithful friend, you're the one that I can count on to be there no matter what. That's, that's the word we're going to look at today, the word faithful. Um, so as you look over these five characteristics, uh, which of these do you see in your, your friendship? Um, well, Kelly, like she just said, she's always been a faithful friend to me too. And um, I just feel like so many of these are in our relationship. And this week as I was thinking about it, I was reminded of um, we're always like asking each other to do crazy things like, Um, Hard things. Hard things, adventures, you know, whatever it may be. And um, back in 2011, I asked her to run a half marathon with me, but neither one of us were runners. So um, (laughs) we still aren't runners, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) But um, anyway, we trained and we prepared and we planned the way that we were going to run this race together. And um, so we're about nine miles into it. And um, I am just mentally like exhausted and um feeling bitter and (laughs) like why did we do this and kelly is like this is going great i'm feeling strong and so she turns to me we had been doing like walk run intervals where you run for 10 minutes walk for 10 minutes and so it was time for us to start walking again it was about to come up 
on that time. And she said, let's stop walking and let's just run the rest <laughs> of the race together. We're doing great. Let's just do it. And I was like, no. We were like, we're not afraid to tell each other how we feel and the truth. And so I was like, no, I'm not there. I was trying to be the encourager and she was not having it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, you know, it's fine. You just go on without me and I will be fine. Like, you do your thing. I'll finish the rest of the race. And so that's what we decide. And she runs on ahead and I can see her off in the distance. Um, Slow runner. <laughs> I'm walking at this point. She's running. So... I look up, and she turns around, and she's running back towards me. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's crying, and she runs up to me and gives me a hug and says, um, this is not what we plan to do. Um, you would never leave me, and so I'm not going to leave you. And so she stays by my side, and we finished the rest of the race together right to the finish line. And that's how our friendship's been. Um, we just, we've walked along inside each other for years, and we choose to do that because being a faithful friend, being dependable, and following through on what we say we'll do, um, it really matters. It does. And, you know, as I look at these five things, buddy, I, it makes me think, you know, some friends, you're thrown into circumstances together. You know, you may be in their class, or you may have your kids be on the same soccer team, or whatever, and it's really hard to build this kind of relationship, you know, this lasting relationship. But these things, these five things, I'm, I'm looking back here. You guys are up here, but <laughs> these things are, take investment. They take a lot of time and just vulnerability. But Kristen and I, we've been friends for 24 years, but only 10 of those years have we actually lived in the same town and four of those were at college. And so we've really invested into this relationship, time, plane tickets, whether we had two babies flying, you know, to see each other, many phone calls. It, it takes that to get close friends. And so one more thing is, it seems to me close friendships are forged often in tough times. Have y'all been through some tough times together and how did you support each other? Yeah, we've been there. We've been through a lot of tough times. Um, like being newly married and having nine babies between Yes, us. Uh, we see your husbands <laughs> over there. We understand. <laughs> and they have an awesome story of friendship too, by the way. We, we could talk um, forever about the stories. But through like deaths of friends and family members and moving and living in different cities um, or even just simply like rough days, bad days. Um, but through it all, when the hard times come, um, we like point each other to rely on God. We remind each other to rely on God and, um, and his word and his promises and that he's faithful and true. Amen. That's right. And I think, you know, we both have the same truth that we ground everything in our beliefs and in the way we raise our kids and, and parent and uh, spouse, uh, do marriage, you know, it's the truth of God's word. Amen. And we both believe in that same truth and we both try to feed that truth back to each other. And um, as I was thinking about my friendship with Kristen, I mean, we ha we've, we've had some great talks over the past just couple days since you called about how our friendship means to each other. But I was reminded that one of my favorite attributes of God is his faithfulness and how he never fails to show up. You know, love shows up and um, love is faithful and he's true with his promises. And if he says he's going to do it, he does it. And 
That's my favorite attribute about Kristen is that it's just her faithfulness. And in today's society, when nobody wants to commit to anything and you can't, I mean, we always talk about why does no one RSVP anymore? You know, the baby showers we've tried to do. Nobody, they're like, well, maybe, I mean, if we have something better. I just feel like nobody wants to commit. And Preach. we, we <laughs> it bothers me. <laughs> and so, so having a friend that always does what they say they're going to do reminds me of God. And that's how we all need to be doing to each other is treating each other like God treats us. And I feel like if we did that, we would forge closer friendships and not, and they wouldn't be as shallow. And it's hard to put yourself out there and be vulnerable, but um, we need that. Well said. Thank you very much. Give these girls a hand for sharing with us today. Man, that was, that was really, really good. And we're going to keep looking at some close friendships. Uh, my favorite definition of a friend is this, the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. And I, I heard that in Kristen and Kelly's testimony about their friendship. That's the person that shows up, even in the tough times. And so this week, we're going to look at a couple friends who really showed up in those times, David and Jonathan. Last week, we looked at Ruth and Naomi. This week, we look at a couple of men who just have an amazing friendship. And let me just say this. There was no worldly reason for them to be friends. They should not have been friends. In fact, from a worldly standpoint, one of them should have killed the other before anything else happened. But let me say this to you about this friendship, especially to the men in the audience this morning. This friendship is going to make you uncomfortable. I mean, there's going to be some things they say to each other. You're going to go, ain't no way I'd ever say that. But here's what I want you to know. These, as we would say, these are two manly men. Uh, the, these are not sissies. I mean, they, they are absolute warriors, and yet they have a friendship bond that sort of blows us away. Let's talk about when it started. First Samuel 17, David has slew Goliath, and they rout the Philistine army. In chapter 18, verse 1, David and Jonathan have met. After David had finished uh, talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. Listen here. There was an immediate bond between them, for, David, for Jonathan loved David. First service, these girls said they had immediate bond. That's exactly what Jonathan and David had. Literally, the passage means here, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. It's a beautiful friendship. So the first thing we'll say about this friendship is it was immediate, that immediate bond. Now, what did this for them? Here's what I understand. When Jonathan watched David, he remembered who he was and who God was. You say, what are you talking about, buddy? First Samuel 14, Jonathan's this incredible warrior. One day there's some Philistines up on a mountain. They're taunting Jonathan in his armor barrier. Jonathan said, let's go get him. They climb the mountain. They're in a terrible position. They get on top of the mountain, and they kill 20 Philistines. He's bold. He's courageous. Here's the question. What happened in 1 Samuel 17 when Goliath came out? The question I've got to ask here, I've never asked before, is where was Jonathan? He's afraid of this one guy? 
Seems so. And then he watches David come out as a young kid and slay Goliath. And Jonathan goes, that's who I am. That's who God has called me to be. You ever had that kind of friendship, you know? Or maybe you're talking with a friend and they're so fired up about Jesus, you think, that's who I used to be. Or they're so in the Word and love the Word and love sharing the Word. You think, that's who I want to be. Or there's, I got a friend I call out of state that's so evangelistic. Every time I talk to him, I think, I got to go share my faith. That's what's happening with David and Jonathan. They immediately bond because they're both warriors. And Jonathan says, that's who I want to be. Who do you have when you come to a dark place who reminds you who you really are? So look what happens in verses 2 through 4. And Jonathan made a covenant with David. Here we go, uncomfortable, because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. What's going on here? This, this love is so immediate. What's all this taking off your tunic and all that kind of stuff? Jonathan watches David and says, David, you ought to be king, not me. See, this is what you got to understand about the story. Jonathan is King Saul's son. He's in line to the throne. And in this moment, he says, David, you're more qualified than I am. I want to give it all over to you. you got to wonder when this little conversation happened. When Jonathan says, David, I've been thinking about this, and I think, honestly, I've watched you. You'd be better than me. And David says, I never told anybody this. But Samuel came to me when I was just a kid and anointed me to take your father's place. So they have this friendship. I I call this a covenant bond. That's a strong word. Jonathan and David made a binding agreement to be there for each other no matter what. It's what they just said. They showed up for each other. And man, I want to challenge us because most of us men have what I call activity friends. Yeah, we like to go to a ball game together. We like to go play golf together. We like to play tennis together. But after the activity, there's not much there. Why? Because uh, just going to an activity doesn't require much, and it doesn't really give much unless you take it to that next step. And that's what David and Jonathan did. They made a covenant. Too many of us have consumer friendships. What does that mean? I'm going to be your friend as long as you meet my needs. I'm going to be your friend as long as it's easy. But if if it doesn't just float my boat any moment, I'm gone. A covenant is a binding agreement between two people made in the presence of God. It's when they sat down and said, we got to talk about this for a moment. I'm pledging to be there for you, whatever happens. And the other says, I'll do the same. And that's where that love, faithful love comes in. Steadfast love. It's the Hebrew word used over and over for God's love. It's the Greek word that we talk about, agape love. It's unconditional love. Now understand, this covenant bond was very costly, especially for Jonathan. Let me tell you a little bit. Verse 7, chapter 18. Saul's going down the road one day. He hears this singing group on the side of the road. And they're singing this song. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. And Saul is angry 
and he's jealous. And by verse 10, David's in his house, and he takes a spear and tries to pin David to the wall and kill him. You see, look at verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. I mean, Saul's turned into such a mess that God had departed from him. In fact, the Bible says God sent an evil spirit to him. He's saying, Saul, if you want to be this evil, go ahead. I'll honor your choice. And so it gets to be really, really bad. And Jonathan steps in, trying his best to do something. Look in chapter 19, okay, just for a moment. Saul told his son Jonathan all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David, I love that, and warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. No kidding. (laughs) David's got to go, yeah. Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to his dad Saul. And said to him, let not the king do wrong to servant David. He's not wronged you. And what has he done that's, been, that's not befitted, benefited you greatly? He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel. You saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? And Saul's convicted. He says, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. And so, temporarily, Saul, who gets almost schizophrenic in this story, stops trying to kill David. But by verse 10, he tries again with a spear. And Jonathan comes to David to say, man, I got your back. Look at chapter 20, verse 4. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. And listen to me. He's not just making something up. We're we're all bad about saying, okay, if you need something, anything you need, I'll be there for you. Call me. I'll come, you know. No, no. This is the friend I call the friend that's available at 2 o'clock in the morning. The friend that you know you could call in the middle of the night and they would show up. The friend that doesn't just say, hey, man, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. They actually show up on your doorstep. The friend who loves you with this unconditional love. Now, Jonathan does ask something about it. Why? Because in ancient days, this is what makes this story so wild. In ancient days, when the kingship moves from Saul to David, what ancient kings did was wipe out the old household. So David, by any other way, would have just wiped out Jonathan, all of Saul's descendants. So there's no threat to his throne. Jonathan knows that. And so he goes with a request. Chapter 20, verse 14, Jonathan says, but show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan, again, they, again, they make a covenant. He makes a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And here's another one of those uncomfortable deals, guys. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath of love for him. 
Because he loved David as he loved himself. Wow, what's going on? David's saying, you know what, Jonathan, no matter what happens, I'm, I'm there. And, and David responds. Look, look at the next verses here. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. What's, what's that? It's a sign of submission. This is, this is like we talked about last week. This is a very reciprocal relationship. Jonathan pledges his love and covenant to David. David pledges his love and covenant to Jonathan. And, and here David says, you know what? You may think I'm greater, but right now I'm putting myself in the submission role. Because right before these verses, they'd come up with another plan to figure out if Daddy Saul still wanted to call David. Because he still wanted to kill David. And he did. And Jonathan meets him secretly in a field. And that's where David falls down before him. And then watch this. Okay, get uncomfortable again. Then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. Now, that sounds really weird. Let me tell you, I want you to go tell him this. Adam Donaldson tried to kiss me this morning before he left, all right? That sounds like Adam, doesn't it? But they kissed each other. And they wept together. I mean, guys, great friendships or more than just doing things together, there's an emotional bond. Now, why did David weep more? Because David really had more to lose. Jonathan goes back home. David leaves home, leaves his family. He's on the run. He can't even go to the temple of God anymore. Can't go to the sanctuary. So, David's in bad shape here. Let me say this. Here's our next point. They had a growing bond, not just an immediate bond, not just a covenant bond, but because of that covenant, there was room for them to grow. And so they're going through awful times. It gets so bad that Saul even tries to kill Jonathan. He's so mad at Jonathan about this. So David and Jonathan's friendship was forged in tough times. They were sacrificial, loyal, protective, and encouraging for each other. You ever had that kind of loyal friend that you knew if someone brought you up behind your back, your friend would defend you? That someone is protective of you, protective of your image? I'll never forget going through a really crazy time in Tuscaloosa. And, um, you know, I thought I might lose my job for something I'd not done. And I had a great friend that was a youth minister. His name's Matt Elliott. And Matt went to the elders and said, if you fire Buddy, you might as well go ahead and fire me because I'm gone. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget moving here and a lot of crazy things happening. And before I would ever get to the office, Don Gillum would show up at my office door and pray on the floor. I'll never forget the night when we were under attack and men just called each other at 10 o'clock of the night. There were about 25 of us on these stage praying for this church. You see, it's through difficult times that special bonds are made. And Jonathan encourages David. He tries to say, it's going to be okay. Listen to this verse here, chapter 23, verse 17. Don't be afraid, David. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. 
Jonathan says, I know it looks bad, David. And I know my dad looks like he's going to get you. But God's bigger than this. And and you are going to be king because God has promised that. And I want you to have some hope. You talk about some encouragement. So, David has these two crazy opportunities to kill Saul. You got to read the whole story when you get home. After all this happens, there are two times where David sneaks up to Saul and just could have killed him. One time when Saul's asleep, another time when Saul's actually out relieving himself. And both times, David just cuts off a little bit of his robe. And and later, they're talking to each other, and David screams across, Saul, I was right there. I've got the proof. I've got the corner of your robe. I could have killed you. And Saul actually acts a little bit penitent. But here's what's so crazy about this. David felt guilty even about that because Saul, quote-unquote, was the Lord's anointed. Look at this verses. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he's the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Now, here's the next point. They had a spiritual bond. Remember, a covenant between two people and God. And they had that bond. Now, listen, David doesn't kill Saul. But listen to me. David never had a problem killing people. All right? He kills a lot of folks. But he's not going to disobey God to do it, even when it made sense. And God's spiritual friends, David and Jonathan, helped each other obey God. In the long run, their friendship reflected the love of God. If you've got a spiritual friendship, and I love what Kristen and Kelly were saying, man, they got a standard. It's not just, hey, let's be close and it's cool. It's like, okay, does this match up with what God wants? We've got the Word of God to look to. Spiritual friends help each other be more obedient. When you're thinking about something that's not like Jesus, that violates the commands of the Bible, your friends can say, hey, you don't need to do that, buddy. Don't do that. It can change your behavior. It can change your language. It can change the way you treat people because that friend is like that iron that sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. And that's what they did. Now, let me say something to you. It's a bold statement, but I want you to listen closely because I believe with all of my heart. Spiritual friendships are as important for your spiritual growth as Bible study, prayer, and worship. That's why when you were born again, God put you in a church family. You can do all those other things by yourself. There's a power in doing them together. But the the deal is God wants you to bond with a friend that will change you. So maybe you're in the Word and you're you're getting consistent in your worship. Thank you. Awesome. Next step may be you need to build a friendship where you invite each other to help each other obey God and be more like God. You guys, here's the cool thing. Their love, this faithful love, reflects the very love of God. And, And let me tell you, the story. 
of Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. That's hard, hard to say. Mephibosheth, okay? You say, who's this dude? Well, after Jonathan dies, Saul dies, and David becomes king, David remembers the oath we just read that he had made to Jonathan about the family. And nobody knows quite what's happened until Jonathan, David says to Ziba, one of his friends, can you find out if there's any of Jonathan's descendants still alive? And he searches the country and hidden out in this little no-place town is Mephibosheth. He's only five years old. He's the son of Jonathan. He was dropped when he was a baby and he's crippled. And David says, go get him and bring him to my table. And they bring him to the table of the king. And Mephibosheth comes. Can you imagine Mephibosheth thinking, you know what? Who I don't belong here. In any other country, I'd be dead. But I've been invited here. And he's a little bit shaky about it. And so David says, here's what I want you to know. You will always have a place at the king's table. So listen to this sentence. Mephibosheth found himself dining at the king's table, experiencing the king's love, a place he shouldn't have been. I imagine every day when that banquet is served, he thinks, oh my goodness, David has been so good to me. This is a beautiful act of grace. It's giving someone something they need and not what they deserve. It's an unmerited gift. And here's what I want us to do right now. We're about to take communion. And so in a minute when we begin to sing, if you've not been to the tables and, and got your cup, then, then please just feel free to do that. But to me, this is the perfect picture of what we're about to do. Guys, we're coming to the king's table. We are coming right now to the table of the Lord. Listen closely. You don't belong here. Neither do I. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 2 says. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. You deserve to be dead. Verse 5. God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. So right now, together we come to the king's table. We probably will remind ourselves that by, by the grace of God, we don't belong here. But because of the love of God, we're able to partake together with the king at his table. We don't belong. We should be dead. But we are at an amazing feast. Let's pray together then partake. God, thank you for this story. And thank you for this, this story that's a picture of what we're about to do. Of you coming after us when we deserve to be dead when we deserve to be spiritually separated from you forever and say, no, 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 I forgive, I give grace. Please come to my table. And we go, oh God, we don't belong here. I've got too many sins. I've made too many mistakes. And you say to us, there will never be a night that you're not invited to my table. Never be a day. 
So Lord, today as we remember your grace and these emblems of the body and the blood of Jesus, may we celebrate that you invited us to your table. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We would never, never understand this kind of friendship without the greatness and love of God. And we've seen as we studied together this morning that David and Jonathan had an immediate bond, ended up in a covenant bond, a growing bond, a spiritual bond in God. And needless to say, we closed by saying they had a deep bond. We've looked at lots of passages where their bond was so close that even their expressiveness is uncomfortable for us. Let me just tell you, I've skipped the most uncomfortable verse. I'm about to show you one of what David says after Jonathan dies. It may shake you up a little bit. 1 Samuel 1, 26. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You are very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. Who's uncomfortable? I am. Who would say that? David. You're sad about this? Is that some people say that this proves that David and Jonathan were in a homosexual relationship? There's nothing in the story. There's nothing sexual in these verses. There are Hebrew words that you could use for that. They are not used here. So there's two things I see from this pretty bold passage of expression of love. First of all, how perverted our culture has become. That, that we take an innocent, beautiful story like this, and we have to sexualize it. But on the other hand, here's the conviction for you and I this morning. How superficial our churches have become. So superficial, such levels of friendship, that we look at this and we don't quite get it. The truth is, God gives us the story because he wants us to have an example of a great friendship. That's why we listened to, to Kelly and to Christian this morning because these friendships aren't always there. I mean, you can't make this kind of friendship happen. You can't, I mean, one thing I've always believed about friendship is they're always by choice. Nobody's got to be your friend. They might have to be in your family, but they don't have to be your friend. And you don't always meet someone who's your best friend. But what I love about this story is it raises our standard. That we've got to be more than just Golfing buddies, more than just sewing sisters. There's a friendship that has an incredible love that God wants us to joy. But I've talked to enough people this week after last week's message that I cannot tell you the amount of people who've told me this week that they are really lonely and they really don't have a close friend. That's not surprising. 70% of Americans don't. But what should be surprising is it shouldn't be happening in God's church. And so what do we do? We, we learn from these friendships. 
And my challenge to you is to, to take a great friendship you have or a, a nice friendship you have and move it to the next level. Say, hey, could, could we pray together every once in a while? I, I want to invite you, if you see anything in me that's not like Jesus, could you tell me? And if you see anything that is like Jesus, would you tell me? I mean, you're going to have to invite somebody in this. You're, and I guess this verse is uncomfortable. I know for many of us, we're uncomfortable with this whole concept. But listen to me. Can you imagine if David would have survived without Jonathan? You don't have to imagine a life without good friendships. And that's why we're here. And whatever we've got to do to get to that point, we want to do that. Here's the picture I want to leave you with. You see this picture of these bicyclists. You, you, you call this drafting. That, that one cyclist goes in front of the other, and they, they, they sort of cut through the air. And because of that, it cuts the resistance. And the second cyclist is able to not have to pedal as hard because there's a vacuum created that makes the way. Because that's a great picture of David and Jonathan's friendship. And, and what I love about their friendship was they would change places at times. At times, Jonathan was in the lead. At times, David was in the lead. But because they had this friendship, some of the resistance from Satan and life was cut right through. And they were able to travel through life with each other faster than they would have been by themselves. And if you spiritually want to get to where you need to be, you need friendships like this that help cut through the resistance and make you a better person. You see, guys, here's what I want to say to you. You don't have to be alone. Just a moment. We're going to sing a song. If you're desiring that kind of friendship, then let me tell you, again, you can't force it. What do you do if you don't have this? You can't control somebody else. What you're going to have to say is, I want to be a better friend. I can't control if you want to be my friend or not. There's even a fear of rejection. Can you imagine the fear of rejection when Jonathan expressed this kind of love toward David? That this warrior David could have said, man, don't talk to me that way. But he, but he didn't. And, and they became great friends. And the best thing you can do right now is say, you know what? I, I've not really reached out. I, I've not been the one to befriend people. I, I've not been open. Like someone in first service just come up here and say, Two words, I'm lonely. One of the greatest people in this church, Junior Bagwell, said that. I'm just lonely. And maybe you need to say that. Maybe you know, the first thing you need to do is you need to, to forge this friendship with Jesus. Because it's off this relationship with Jesus that you got the security to take a risk. Because friendships are risky. But if you know that Jesus, as Jesus said in John 15, is your friend, then you can take the risk. And so maybe you've never built that relationship with Jesus, and today's the day that you want to be baptized, or today's the day that you need to recommit your life to Jesus, and out of that love, start displaying that love to your friends. We're about to sing this song. If you need to show up on this front bench and be surrounded by your church family and not be alone, then come, please come, right now while we stand and sing.